I'ma say what I feel And I promise to keep it real Welcome to the Red Room Well, you gotta be a rider till your fears are diminishing, the doubts are behind ya. It's hard to grind, and the business got me stressed in the rent room. We let that shit up off our chest. You know, the street nerds got no time for no caca. Sass in class, yes, they used to bowl a kaja. Never have to guess when you're listening to Hilliard. He gon' bring more game than a shark playing billiards. It's all about the crap of screenwriting. It's exciting when you turn an outline into something enlightening. You're pinning words all like bullets in a gun. Write what you feel, say what you want. Hey everyone, the Screamwriter's Rant Room in its normal format I will be back after the Thanksgiving holiday. But until then, we're going to have two quick episodes. Uh, just me, because Hilliard's on vacation and Lisa is at work. And we're just going to talk about a few things that have been, um, you know, just on my mind about the film and television industry of late. I think the biggest thing that is of concern is the potential writer strike. Uh, as you know, the writers, they fired their agents in April of this year, and they're coming up with the negotiations with the studios and producers in uh, April of 2020. So why might there be a writer strike? Well, as you know, um, or, or perhaps you don't know, in the last two years, there's been a 23% decline in writer income. And a lot of that comes from, uh, there's just so many ways of, of downward pressure. But a big thing is residuals. And that was a big means of income for a lot of writers for the last, you know, 50, 60 years. But that is uh, effectively dried up. But that money hasn't disappeared. It's all going to the streaming services. Netflix has destroyed the home video business. But in destroying it, they siphoned all that money. And all the potential money that you would get from the renting of videotapes and things like that are uh, going to their coffers. And it's difficult to find out how much things are being rented and replayed and things like that on those streaming platforms because they don't share the information there's a complete lack of transparency with how successful something is or how much of a failure something is. And so that is a big thing because how do you negotiate, say, if you've worked at Netflix and then you want to work on Apple, you know, the value of what you contributed to the success of a show when you don't really know if a show is a success. You don't know what the metric is that determines if they're going to bring this show back. And you will also know that Netflix, they only want to do shows for three seasons because they don't want to have to pay those additional fees about the bump after three seasons where the writers, the directors, and the, and particularly the cast, you know, get these huge bumps in salary. So how do you negotiate if you don't know what your true worth is because you don't know how much of an impact uh, said show you worked on did? So that is where a lot of money has disappeared. And I think people don't remember that the last writer strike in 2007 was basically so that the Writers Guild could cover the internet. And that and at the time, you know, there wasn't all these services, but that's what the big deal for that was. Because um, imagine if they didn't go on strike then or if they caved on that. Then all these streaming platforms 
would not be covered by the Writers Guild, and there'd be no ability to get the minimums, and they'd and it'd be this wild, wild west kind of thing about how much that they pay for certain programming. So that's something that I guess we have to really consider about what might happen in the next two quarters. And it'd be a dangerous time. And, you know, what happened last time is that in 2007, Los Angeles took a huge, huge hit because the writer's strike put a lot of shows out of business for the duration of the strike. And in doing that, you know, and if, if the show's on strike, then all the other ancillary people who are associated with the show don't get to work either. So it caused this contraction in the L.A. economy. And although the strike was like four months or something like that, which is an entire quarter of like, you know, of, of scarce spending of these of, of negative you know, economic growth, per se, because everyone was saving their money, not knowing when the strike was going to end. What happened? They came out of the strike. They they set all that stuff in, in motion so we could have these shows and streaming platforms and get, get covered. And then the Great Recession hit. Now, everyone has is, is been talking about the next recession is due, and it's been knocking at the door for the last couple quarters. And it's probably going to hit in in the second or third quarter of next year. And that'll be right around the time of the middle of the next strike, if there is a strike. So they have to figure out ways with the Writers Guild, with the agencies, and with the studios to, to avoid a strike because of the streaming platforms. So that's something that's big that is on the horizon. Next, I wanted to talk about foreign films. I say foreign films because the film that everyone is really talking about is a movie called Parasite. Parasite is directed by a Korean director who's most famous in the West or a film called Snowpiercer, which they're turning into a TV series, and it, I guess they already shot it, and it should be out on TNT. Uh, supposed to be this year, but I guess it'll be next year. And that's a, the Parasite's a very fascinating movie in terms of how it approaches its subject matter, but also about what it does with tone. The tone in that movie is all over the place. Each act has a different tonal balance. And this is kind of cool for me as, you know, like a writer thinking about things because you want things to have that kind of like dynamics you want that emotional risk that Martin Scorsese was talking about that that makes cinema cinema and that can happen if you have if you change tone in something because if you change tone well then you don't really know where you're going to go next because the tone is changed and therefore the, p the potential tropes you might be thinking of if you're watching say a horror movie or a domestic drama or something like that you are now kind of left unmoored and it allows you to be more enthralled in what the story is telling you and that is something that foreign films are really adept at doing, but they're not really adept at doing that in Hollywood for a lot of reasons. Um, but it's interesting because I feel that this movie Parasite should win the Best Picture. It might not win, but it should just get nominated. And it's an interesting kind of example of what kind of cinema is still available to us and people are talking about it and I think you know the, I think the big difference about if there's too many Marvel movies or what Marvel movies are and things like that is because they have a huge huge marketing budget and most other film companies don't have that kind of budget to promote their films and it's usually like word of mouth that happens anyway and that's what you want to go to see a movie for because because your friends have told you oh you have to see this thing you have to see this thing and that's been a driver for movies for ever since they came out and I think that 
there's a lot more interest in seeing foreign films if people can get over the subtitles. I've, it's always bothered me that people um, they ask me if I recommend a movie if it's got subtitles or not. I mean, I, I, I don't get why that is such an issue for people. But, you know, it is. And I can't do anything about it. But I feel that you as an audience member are missing out on a, a great deal of, of alternative type of storytelling that does keep cinema alive outside of these big packaged films that have been tested and been reshot and tested again to make sure that the, that the four quadrants are going to respond to what the movie's about. I mean, if you'd asked me what, Paramount is, what Parasite is about and who does it hit with the four quadrants, I would say it hits everyone, but it, except it hits no one because it's such a unique type of film but then again, it's not unique because it's the type of work that that director has been doing for most of his career. And there's like a whole bunch of movies like that that are either out of Korea, that are out of France, that are out of Germany, that are out of Italy, that are maybe out of Russia, that out of Japan that will keep you entertained and show you that there's a more diversity in storytelling that way. And then the third thing I wanted to talk about is... I was talking with someone on Twitter the other day, and we were talking about Crimson Tide, a masterwork by the legendary and deceased Tony Scott. Uh, stars Gene Hackman and Denzel Washington. If you haven't seen it, it's a submarine movie. And it's just interesting to note how effective that story was and how great of a filmmaker, how great of a storyteller Tony Scott was. And... It's just kind of sad that he's no longer here to make those type of action films. I've said this before on the podcast that action films, I think, have gone downhill since he passed away because he would kind of push the envelope of what you can do. But the movie Crimson Tide came up because it was talking about what are you going to do with Star Trek? Because Star Trek can't, you know, outwow the audience because of the structure of the show and the series, the franchise say like Guardians of the Galaxy or saying like Star Wars. But Star Trek doesn't have to. See, 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 Star Trek could be as potent as if you took something like the storyline of Crimson Tide, that kind of morality play, and you put it in the confines of the two-hour movie. I mean, that's what they did in the TV shows all the time. That's what I think made the uh, the first four mo- Star Trek motion pictures very fascinating. They weren't trying to they weren't trying to compete in that you know like whiz bang factor that you get with Star Wars um, or with Guardians of the Galaxy. And I just kind of I, I just think about you know what kind of like strong characters were in that script that attracted Tony Scott to do this. You know to get Denzel Washington. You know he's still an Oscar winner at that time to get. Um, Gene Hackman, who I think he had just come off of winning the Oscar for uh, for Unforgiven. So you have these two powerhouse actors, and it just made for this phenomenal, phenomenal uh, movie that I don't think people even talk about that much these days. Uh, I think after that, and uh, Hunt for Red October, which was a couple years before that, there was this series of submarine movies that came out that just, I think, probably soured people's thoughts about the submarine film. But you shouldn't slip on seeing Crimson Tide if you haven't seen it in a while. Um, and again, Tony Scott gives fantastic director's commentary. Um, that's something that people had asked me about when I was uh, uh, shooting the web series. You know, like, how did I, uh, you know, did I learn to be a director? And, you know, I didn't go to film school. I couldn't afford it. Um, and even if I could afford it, 
I was like, that's so much money that I'm going to be on the hook for afterwards. And it's so hard to get a job in the film and entertainment industry. So did I want to be on the hook for that? But at the time, you know, there was all these director commentaries on the DVDs. Again, something missing because all these videos are now being watched on streaming services. And you don't get those commentaries except from the Criterion channel, which is a great thing about that service. So if you do subscribe to it, if you go through the movies, a lot of times you'll find commentary and critique by uh, film critics, things like that, which which helped me a lot to understand how to look at like cinema outside of it's just piece of entertainment or tr- or trying to tell just the surface story that it does and why certain films you know are said to be art films because they reach into the human experience in a different way um but the commentary tracks you know the directors talk a lot about their process what they were doing how they did stuff why they did stuff you know david fincher and uh and tony scott are uh, gave really 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 strong informative commentaries it's also a really really informative commentary on um anthony Mingela's films so as english patient and on cold mountain and down to mr ripley i think that it's interesting to hear what those guys talk about because they talk about how they make changes in the script and why they make changes on the script um, to suit the the to suit the rigors of production. I mean, that's something that like I just went through with the film um, that I just saw that Hillier produced. We were working on a scene that that we rehearsed a few times, and it kind of kind of worked in rehearsal in terms of the emotional through line and some of the blocking. But you but it's never necessarily the same when you're rehearsing at a different space in the actual set. And when we got to the set and we were shooting the scene trying to block it out it just was like there was too much going on it was too much dialogue too much activity because that that filtered around the dialogue after doing it a couple times i just said you know what we just need to cut half the dialogue out of this scene you know and thankfully the writer um which is willie davis who's a podcast listener um he was cool with that he was cool with just like cutting out because it allowed the scene to play with the dynamics of when it's up on its feet and when it's on the page that's one of the things that when when directors particularly these commenters they, they talk about how they do that kind of stuff and what stuff gets cut out and why um and scenes that get shot and cut out and why and i think that's a very informative thing for uh, filmmakers and and writers to understand, you know, to not be so precious with the words that you write, because it's really about what are you doing to give the actors behavior, and what are they gonna do to take the emotional journey of the story to life? Because that's what you're gonna watch anyway. You know, the dialogue is not always as important as you think, and I was you know, like bring that back to my thing about foreign films. You know, foreign films, when you watch them and there's subtitles there, you don't really know what the dialogue is saying. And the dialogue that you see at the bottom is kind of like compressed language because they're trying to like fit it on so fast that you can read it as the scene is flying by so fast. But what you do notice and what you do understand and what you do recognize when you watch a foreign film is tone of voice and body language 
facial expression that the actors are giving is outside of the dialogue. And that comes from how you created the character on the page and what the director and the actors then figure out in the rehearsal. And that could be a lot of different things for rehearsal. It could just be talking about the script with the, with the actors. It could be actually like doing the rehearsals the way you think they are when you just, you're, when you're reading out loud and figuring out what it is and saying the lines and things like that. But those are all things that, come down to the fact that film and television particularly film is all about the, the through line of the story and what we're trying to do to keep everything moving quickly 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 and to keep the emotional steam engine like like rolling downhill as fast as we can um so those are my thoughts for this short episode um if you guys don't like this if this is just too crazy or if it's too I don't know, self-centered or it's too off-topic or, or or like whatever it is, well, just, you know, like write into Hilliard at um, screenwritersrr at gmail.com. There's a contact form at the website, which is uh, screenwritersrr.com. Um, that's where our Patreon link is, so you can support the show that way. Um, if you want to follow us on Twitter and Instagram, that's something else that you can do. Um, I'm at uh, Unauthorized CBD at uh, that's on Instagram and on Twitter. And Hilliard is at Screenwriters uh, Rant Room on no, it's just Screenwriters RR on Twitter or um, at Hilliard Guest on Twitter and on Instagram. Um, and I want to thank. Steve Bagatorian, a good friend, a writer friend, and a fan of the show who suggested to do this type of odd format when we're not um, actually doing the, the rant room, rant room the, the, way, the way that we typically do, which, as I said, is coming back after the first, uh, the first week of December, so just stay tuned. And uh, if you have any questions, like I said, then shoot them over to screenwritersrr at, at gmail.com. And we will look forward to seeing you shortly. Um, and again, there'll be another one of these uh, next week. And we'll talk about something else. Um, all right. That's it. I'ma say what I feel. And I promise to keep it real. Welcome to the Red Road. Well, you gotta be a rider Till your fears are diminishing The doubts are behind ya It's hard to grind And the business got me stressed In the rent room We let that shit up off our chest You know the street nerd has got no time for no caca Sass in class Yes, that's Mr. Bolakaja Never have to guess When you're listening to Hilliard He gon' bring more game Than a shark playing billiards It's all about the crap of screenwriting It's exciting when you turn an outline Into something enlightening Your pen and words Are like bullets in a gun Write what you feel Say what you want Welcome to the Red Room. Red Room. Red Room.